Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to 2022. I trust and pray that it will be a great year. And even if your definition of great is different than mine, we will celebrate what God will do regardless of which as we enter it together. Thank you for joining us. It is good to have you. Whether you're in-house or online joining with us, we want to celebrate all the things that God has done in 2021. But we look forward to 2022. And, and what God will bring for this church as he so richly blessed us this past year. I mean, we're really praising God. I mean, we were able to see 98 people join our membership, um, which took us over a, a, a total that we've never had before in our membership. We, we've been able to be excited about seeing 51 people get baptized this past year. And ready, uh, 25 salvations three of which were in the counseling center over at Revivals, right? Amen? I mean, it's awesome. It's so exciting to see what God has done. Our generosity, we have never seen more generosity from our church ever. This was an incredible year in that sense too. And where your heart is, your treasure is. And so we know that your heart is with this place. And we wanna thank all of you who um, supported this place and its ministry, as well as those who are with us online and made sure that they thanked us as well. But it's what God is doing nothing here. And so may he always be given the glory. May we focus on his throne and none of ours because ours are meaningless when it comes in comparison to God. So thanks for joining us today. We're looking forward to getting into a new year. We're kind of in between sermon series. And, uh, and, and normally I, I actually, in between sermon series, I'm not always up here. And uh, I'm getting ready for the next one, and we're about to start Second Peter next week. And if you kept your journals, bring them back out. You know, we'll try to have a few more available as we dig into that. But this week, we're kind of in between. And I want to take an opportunity to do some reflecting. Um, but I, I want to do some reflecting in a different way. I, I've been encouraged by a, a few people who have remarked, there are times, Chris, when you share your own uh, personal devotions, not just the sermon series we're going through. And we're really blessed by that. And I kind of took that to heart. I mean, we always enjoy uh, encouraging feedback like that. And I thought, you know, here's an opportunity for me to kind of just share some of the things that I was reading through over the past series that maybe didn't make it to a Sunday morning pulpit. And so hopefully you'll see it. I was reading about kings, which had a lot to do with thrones. And uh, this specific uh, text today, I think it'll be a good challenge for us. And, and it's been challenging my own heart and, and I hope it encourages you as well as we do some reflecting. When are, when are some times where we see reflections? Uh, we can look down in water and see a reflection coming back at us, right? We can, we can see different things, uh, mirrors, right, specifically. Uh, when we look in a mirror, we see a reflection. Young people, the longer you live on earth, the less you like to be in front of mirrors, you're fine. You're going to, you're fine. I mean, when I was in high school working out, you wanted to find a mirror everywhere you were, right? And, and, and mirrors can change at times, but I wanted to talk about four specific mirrors today. Does anybody understand the principle of reflections in regards to how we see ourselves? I, I want to illustrate it in regards to um, mirrors, and I want to take that, and I want to walk that into a text in the book of Kings and, and, and show you an illustration that's kind of been working on me in my own private life and how we can all work on this in the coming new year where all you have to do is open Instagram, Facebook, or whatever, and you're gonna get what you need to be doing in the new year, right? It's exhausting, isn't it? Like, you gotta do this, 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 and they say like 93% of New Year's resolutions aren't met, and I think the other 7% are lying, right? So, so I, I'm, not, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna offer pressure today. I'm going to actually offer worship today and, uh, and, a, and a year not of performance, but a year of yielding and submission. I think it'll be an encouragement to you. So sit back, relax today. I'm going to kind of be as, uh, as real as I can with you as I share from my own uh, devotions and thoughts and things I've been reading in my own life. And I pray it's a real encouragement to you. And we'll begin today by looking at these mirrors over here to my right. Heavenly Father, use our text today to inspire us to evaluate ourselves not on what we would maybe like to be, not on what other people see us as, but Lord, may we focus on how you see us and how you love us and what you ask of us. Because Lord, you know what's best for us and we don't. And so may we trust you with that. May we come vulnerably before you, knowing that it's a throne of grace. It's not a throne of condemnation and shame. 
and your children can come to you asking for help, and you love it when they do. And so, Lord, in a world of performance, hustle, hurry up, get it done, you're not measuring up, you don't look like this, you don't do that, we're going to be tempted at times to make resolutions in the new year that are outward, when I think your call is to examine the inward. I pray today inspires us and encourages us in your name. Amen. All right, so I got some mirrors over here. All right, y'all love mirrors. I mean, I got uh, just a couple mirrors, and I'm going to give them names, okay? This first mirror, I'm going to call the mirror of distortion, all right? Have you ever stand in front of a mirror that, that distorts the image? I remember every, every year I try to make a, a few goals here, okay? I'm giving away some of the later part of the sermon, but every year I try to make a goals, and when my daughter was especially little, like 11 or 12, I'd say, gotta pick a daddy-daughter event, and we would go out somewhere. And I remember one year we went to Hershey Park, and we went to this ride called the Laugh Track. Kids, have you done that? And as you go in that, there's all these different mirrors that makes us all these weird things. It's quite funny. But I'm gonna call this the mirror of distortion, not because it actually distorts me, but because how I view this mirror. And I'm gonna talk about the four views that we often can wrestle with on this side of earth. Let me say three, and I'll show you the fourth. This first one is how I see myself. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> or it's how I see myself. Ew, ew, gross, oh, gross. Do you see the distortion? This mirror of how I view myself is informed by a lot of my own insecurities. It's informed by other things going on. And that's why, as the years I was a youth pastor, over 10 of them, I'd have these young girls, attractive young ladies, calling themselves ugly. I'm so ugly. I'm so ugly. That's why you can have a guy who he's let it go and he don't care and can look in this and go, hello, beautiful. Because we were be tempted to distort this. It's how I view myself. How do you view yourself? That's our first mirror. How I view myself. And it's often a mirror of distortion. Why you can have Hollywood people not wanting to be alive because of a distorted mirror. The second mirror, I'm going to call the mirror of comparison. Now, this mirror isn't so much how I see myself. This is the mirror of how I wish to see myself. Hmm. Let me, ooh, ooh. Now, if you're listening on podcasts, I'm rubbing my fingers through hair I don't have. <laughs> but maybe you look at this mirror and all you see is what you wish it looked like. Oh, maybe if I do this to my hair, I'll look like her. Or, or maybe if I do this, I'll look like that guy. I mean, that guy, oh, I gotta wear this outfit. Or, or this will be really healing. Ooh, shoes, there we go. I wanna focus on the things I like about my outfit or whatever. And so if I don't like this, I'll put this focus on what, because this mirror is a comparison mirror and I want it to look like something. So the first mirror is how I view myself. The second mirror here is how I wish to see myself, how I see myself, how I wish to see myself. And what do you think this third mirror will be? We're going to call this mirror the mirror of duplicity. This mirror is not how I see myself. It's not how I wish to see myself. You know what this mirror is? This is how I want others to see me. When you see me, this is what I want you to see. And if what you see is what I want you to see, I can hide all my garbage. And so I gotta put on a show to get you to see what I want you to see. I want you to see somebody who's completely confident and, and sure of himself. I want you to see somebody who this, that, whatever. But we spend so much time in front of this mirror. We only post this mirror when it works in our favor because this is the mirror that we want others to see. And so I got three mirrors before me as I walk this earth of life. I got the one that how I see myself, 
the one where I wish I could see that when I look in it, and the one that I go, I hope this is what others see. I want others to see this. Three mirrors. And, and, and the God of this world wants you to spend your entire life in front of those mirrors. But there's a fourth mirror. It's right back here. Let me get it up. Uh, a little bit bigger. I'm going to stand this mirror right here. Oh, it's got a little kickstand. You know, this mirror, I call this the mirror of authenticity. How I see myself, how I wish I could see myself, how I want others to see me, and who I really am. This mirror shows all of me. It doesn't just focus on my head. It doesn't just focus on the parts of me I like and the parts that I don't like. It's not trying to be something it's not for others to like it. I'm vulnerable in front of this. This is all of me. Everything shows. Can I ask you, in your spiritual life, which mirror do you think is how God sees you? And which mirror are you spending more time in front of than the only mirror that actually matters? You see, this is the, the tool of the devil or the God of this world to get you so consumed about how you see yourself that you despise yourself. There are so many people who are their own worst enemy. They don't need anybody to say anything bad about them. All they do is say stuff bad about themselves. There are some people who are so consumed about what they wish to look like that they're full of performance prisons and trying to be like somebody else, living in jealousy and resentment. And then there's some that are so consumed with the mirror of how other people see them that they live lies, sometimes for years at a time. They even live a life they don't even like in order to keep up appearances. But there's a select few that hear the call of worship. They hear God say, come to me vulnerably before the throne of grace. I know all of you and I love you. I created you and I want a relationship with you. And for those that find the beauty of standing in front of this mirror, especially vulnerably in front of this mirror, will find freedom from all the other mirrors this world tries to offer us. Would you like this new year to be a year of authenticity? Yeah, yeah, not a year of, I'm gonna try to look like this, I'm gonna try to do this, I'm gonna try to do this, but a year of authenticity? It's a call to true discipleship. Now, I told you, I was going to kind of share a little bit from my own, in my own reading. And I remember, just, just, just a few things from a, a discipleship book I enjoy from Bill Hall. Let, let me read you just a few quotes and, and let it speak into our illustration here for a minute. He writes on, on how to become more of a disciple of God, okay? He says, how much longer can we tolerate thinking we cannot really be like Jesus? Follow Jesus and be transformed into his likeness. The problem is that we have given up on everyone being transformed disciples. We have said by our actions that carnal Christianity is acceptable. We have downgraded the norm. It's no longer taking up one's cross daily in an act of self-denial. And we have settled for a pseudo-transformation. Not authentic. Outward, not internal. We've settled, he writes, for a pseudo-transformation characterized by external behaviors that pass for holiness. We go after hot sins of adultery and other sexual crimes, but we wink at people who gossip, slander, and hoard. People can be control freaks with selfish ambition and lead lives of worry and fear, and we look the other way. He continues, so many choose not to live in the power of the Spirit. In fact, it is highly unusual when a Christian returns good for evil. 
blesses one who curses them and prays for one who uses them. The works of the flesh are easier to find than the fruits of the Spirit. Gossip is so rampant and is so the tendency that we believe now the worst in others. Very few of us are sharing our faith or honor God with even 10% of our income. He said fewer still are devoted to the spiritual disciplines. Such activities as prayer and fasting, solitude, silence, scripture meditation are considered practices for only the elite. We have taught that any effort to pursue God is optional and not part of the proof of the genuineness of our salvation. Have any of you ever considered going from following Christ to even pursuing a discipleship relationship with Christ where you start making sacrifices, you start changing things, you start evaluating yourself. And can I ask you, if you're even being slightly called to say, God, I wanna draw closer to you this year, you're gonna find you gotta get away from these mirrors and get in front of this one. Because guess what? None of us are hiding anything from him. Nobody on the floor here, nobody online, and nobody on the stage is hiding anything from him. Wouldn't you love to stand in the freedom of being before the mirror of God and saying, search me and know me. Try me and see if there be any wicked way. God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. You won't get there chasing the world's mirrors because this world it offers a lot but it doesn't offer anything that satisfies well chris how do you know i mean maybe you don't have much maybe maybe if you had tons then you would truly know what the world has to offer so here's what we're going to do let's investigate the life of the richest man that's ever walked the face of the earth anybody know his name his name is Solomon, right? Let's just add his title, King Solomon. And we're going to go to 1 Kings 3, and we're going to see an interaction between the God of the universe and Solomon. Did anybody know who, who Solomon's dad was? He kind of, some people have heard of him. Yeah, David. Talk about following somebody. King David. All right, so, so Solomon is inheriting a lot of his dad's throne and dad can't rebuild God's temple, God can't, excuse me, build his temple because dad's got blood on his hands. Dad was a murderer, adulterer, a liar, yet a man after God's own heart. And now King Solomon is taking the throne as a younger man and, and, and God comes to him in a dream. You, you're gonna have a hard time going through church circles without seeing this on a felt board at some point, now on probably a flat screen, but, but knowing about this occasion. Scripture says that Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father. He loved God. But he offered sacrifices or worship on high places, partly because the delay in the building of the temple. And so we always see there's some weaknesses there, but Solomon loved God. And he offered God 1,000 burnt offerings on an altar. Young people, he didn't come with 10 offerings. He came with 1,000. Solomon is a go big guy. And he wanted God to know, I want to offer you as much as I can. So he offers him 1,000 offerings. And God comes to him in a dream and says, ask what I shall give you. How many of you would love that? God showing up and saying, ask me what I should give you. What would you ask for? Many of you know the account. I'm not going to read it in detail. But Solomon says, you've shown great and steadfast love to my dad. Would you, would you give me what he expected him to say? Maybe wealth, maybe success, maybe the death of his enemy so he can live in security. Solomon says, would you give me wisdom? Give your servant, therefore, verse 9, an understanding mind to govern your people that I might discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this, your great people. What have we taught our young people not to pray for worldly success, for people to like them, to get as many followers as they can? What have we taught our young people to pray for wisdom? Pray that God would give you more wisdom than your dad or your mom. Pray that God would pour wisdom into your life and then go get it. 
Because it's Solomon who said, get wisdom. If it costs you everything you got, get understanding. Solomon asks for this. He trades riches for understanding. God hears this and it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself lifelong riches or the life of your enemies, but you've asked for yourself understanding to discern what's right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has ever been before you and none like you shall ever rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all of your days. And then God adds, and if you walk within my ways, if you follow my statutes or my guidelines, if you follow after me, just as your father did, I'll lengthen your days. I'll give you an incredible kingdom. And God was faithful to that promise. Wealth began to pour into Solomon at reckless rates. Young people, let me talk to you for a second. Solomon wasn't rich. He wasn't even a top Forbes 100 or whatever guy. Solomon was stupid wealthy. Solomon had stupid money. In fact, his wealth was so incredible, you can tell reading scripture, he didn't even know what to do with it. Some of you are like, I know, I have the same problem. <laughs> I remember the first time young people, I got a $100 bill for Christmas. I was like, loaded, felt so good. Man, that was gone quick though, so quick. Uh, money that comes quick leaves quick. Money came quick. And it came real quick to Solomon. And he began to build the empire. And he did what God asked him to do. He would build a temple and look at the expanse of Solomon's kingdom. I mean, we have the temple and the great courtyard, this massive courtyard. People are like ants in this kingdom. Can you just look down here at the regular homes in Jerusalem on the lower side of the screen? And look at the comparison of what Solomon built. I mean, this was a go big guy. But while he was building the temple of God, which is so cool because he architected architecturally designed it so that it stood up and looked like a lion laying on the ground. And so you have its head up and it, it's go out the back. So he built this incredible gold laden temple for God. But Solomon, he was taking care of his own house too. Solomon's got cash money and he's using it. And he starts building his house. And he has the porch of pillars, the porch of the throne. That's where, where we're going to talk about his throne. That's where the porch was. The porch of pillars, you had to walk through the porch of pillars, massive pillars to get into the throne room. His palace is over there. And like every good father, he bought his daughter a house. No, 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 that's not what, I, we're going to keep moving there. But he has his daughter's house and then Solomon's place. And so he would walk through these awesome aqueduct courtyards. He'd go through what's called the house of the forest of Lebanon. And as he would walk through the house of the forest of Lebanon, he would then enter into the porch of pillars up to the porch of the throne. And then he would go to worship his God. And the scriptures begin to talk about the wealth that would come to Solomon. I'm going to read from first Kings chapter 10. Listen to this verse 14. It says this. Now the weight of the gold that came to Solomon in just one year was 600 and 66 talents of gold. Besides that, which came from explorers and from business of merchants and from the kings of the West and from the governors of the land. Some of you saw 666 and went, what? That's in scripture somewhere else than Revelation? I've heard some commentators say, yeah, it's probably a coincidence. Let me help you. There are no coincidences with God. God has an ultimate plan and an ultimate purpose. We know six is the number of man, but 666 talents of gold is what scripture says was coming to him yearly. So there's estimates that's around 21 tons of gold a year. So Solomon's pulling in somewhere around 900 million a year. He's doing all right. And on top of that, he don't pay for anything. And on top of that, the merchants come from everywhere. For Solomon was an incredible CEO, if you will. Incredible entrepreneur, if you will. And he built this massive, massive empire because he's wiser than anyone. And he knows how to produce and to build and to grow his wealth. And the money started coming in. And so King Solomon, scripture says, he made 200 large shields. What? 
seems to be like showcase. You won't find someone with extreme wealth who doesn't have some sort of collection, okay? And he's got a collection building, and he likes shields. I wonder if he got two and went, let's go two more. How about another? Oh, I've never had one that represented the Lion of Judah. Put that shield up. And it kept growing, and this is what Scripture says. He had 200 large shields of beaten gold. Now, shields would have been about, for a Roman soldier, a shield was like uh, their entire body. It would have been like almost like covering up their whole body. I'm standing behind a, a full-length mirror here. And like so picture 200 of these gold shields. And look what Scripture says. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. Why would you put that much gold in one shield? I'm going to tell you why. Because he can. Three minus of gold went into each shield. He made 300 shields. So we have 200 shields, and then we have 100, what, what many people are calling more of like a soldier's shield. And, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. He's got a collection. And if he put beaten gold on them, normally shields were, were shown in leather. He put gold over them. The king also made a great ivory throne and he overlaid it with the finest gold. The throne had six steps and the throne had a round top and on each side of the seat were armrests. He knows what he's doing. Armrests on this throne. Scripture even records it. How many grandpas in here got their recliner? It's like their throne, and it's a good recliner. I'll tell you what. If you're looking for a gift for a grandpa, get him a recliner. Wonderful. You can sleep in them, do whatever you want. Solomon's got a throne. Stairs going up to it. You don't approach this throne on regular ground. He puts the best gold, two lions standing on side the armrests, while 12 lions stood there, maybe representing the tribes, the lion, the lions of Judah, one on each end of a step, on the six steps. The like of it was never in any kingdom. Nobody did this. This was off the charts. This was unbelievable. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold. Of course they were. We can't be drinking from anything but gold. If you don't like gold, you didn't want to visit Solomon. He made sure everything you saw was gold. And all of the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. If you went into that forest of Lebanon, everything was pure gold. None were silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. I brought you something of silver, which was incredible worth. And he'd be like, eh, I like gold. The king had a fleet of ships. Oh my word, he had ships. That means he has an organized trading system. And they went at sea with the fleet of Haram. Once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks, people. I read that and go, what? This is recorded for all time? Ivory, stone, where are the peacocks? Hold on, Solomon, we're looking. The, ah, look at the peacocks. Some commentators say it could also be bamboons. Who cares? What, what are you doing, Solomon? What are you doing? He likes peacocks. Do that thing you do. <laughs> See this? This is what we're dealing with. He's got so much money, he doesn't know what to do with it. Bring me some peacocks. If your husband orders a peacock, you call him and say, we got to stop this, Solomon. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of earth in riches and wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. He was famous. He had all glory, honor, dominion, and power. And there wasn't anybody even close he could spend $500 million and be like, eh, oh well. This guy had it all. Every one of them, scripture says, brought his present. I guess, I guess this is literally the way it reads, his present. So you had to bring a present to visit him. Articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. 
And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. And he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shephelah. The temple mount. Solomon's kingdom. The house of the forest of Lebanon. The gold shields. And his wealth continued and continued. But any Bible scholars in the room went, wait a minute, I just heard something. The 666 brought a little bit of an alarm to me, but I noticed Solomon was ordering horses. Does not Deuteronomy say, does not God say, do not build your horses? Now, now all of you who love horses, you're like, what's up with the horses then? The horses represented military strength. It was like he's buying tanks. Okay? He's buying tanks. In other words, Solomon is putting up a fortress around him. He's building this up. He has his gold shields lining the Lebanon house. They would shine off the sun and reflect onto him as he would go to the house of the Lord to worship, and he was building up horses. He was protecting what he had, and he was building it and building it. And on top of that, Solomon, he's ordering peacocks, and he's ordering women. 300-some paraded into him. Solomon got taken down by this wealth. No. From starting to worship something other than God. For the wealth came from God. God said, I will give it to you. The problem with wealth was not wealth itself. For wealth can be used for incredible things. The Temple Mount. But wealth also can lead to there's 300 of them who like this. It can lead to, mm-hmm. I don't really wish any, to be like anyone because I'm the greatest there's ever been. I'm standing in front of the mirrors if you're listening. Can't see. Or even this third mirror. Oh, look how everyone sees me. The greatest that ever lived. But the only mirror that matters is this one. And Solomon Solomon is not pure before this one. And it's going south. Those shields, those shields represented so much. So much the scripture makes sure to mention them. This massive collection symbolizing glory, honor, dominion, and power, protection, and covering of the kingdom. And it's slipping, and it's slipping. There's a story of a young man in Hungary. He's a Beautiful pianist, unbelievable talent, prodigy, 16 years old, but he was having a year of struggle. He played that piano and things weren't going exactly the way he wanted, but he was so talented and so great that they got him a private conversation and lesson with the great Von Sawyer, the last pupil of the incredible pianist, Franz Litz. He came to this young man Von Sawyer. And he said, play for me, son. Play a number from Bach. And that young pupil played it beautifully. He hit those keys incredibly. But there was something happened that was far more than a song. Far more than a song. When he was done, Von Sawyer walked up to him and he kissed him on his forehead, stepped back and said, take care of that kiss, son. Because that kiss came from Van Litz, or excuse me, Litz, who got his kiss on the forehead from Beethoven himself. It was far more than a song. It was symbolic of a passing of a torch. It meant something. It was powerful, and that young man used that moment in his life to become an incredible pianist for his life. It was far more than a song, and they are far more than shields. Why do you say that? Because the kingdom 
began to fall apart rapidly and was given to Jeroboam and Rehoboam, Solomon's sons. And King Rehoboam, after serving God for a few years, we read of his account in 1 Kings 14, 22 through 28. And Judah did what was evil in the sight of, I'll stand in front of mirrors, which mirror? In the sight of this mirror? No, this mirror? No, no, hey, everybody else said it's cool. They said it's cool. Hey, all, all my friends are doing it. It's like, it's no big deal. It's no big deal, right? In front of this mirror? Well, you know, this, no, no, he did what was wrong in front of this mirror. The only mirror that matters. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins that they committed more than that of all their fathers had done. What? More than that of David? Yeah, more than that of all, what? For they built for themselves, ah, oh, high places. Worship. It came back to worship. It didn't come back to the leadership. It didn't come back to all the wealth. It came back to worship. They built for them high places and pillars and ashram on every high hill. Ashram, a cult object that was dedicated to sexual activity outside of God's guidelines. They put it on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. And they did according to all the abominations of the nations that the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Everything that God had told them not to do, they were doing it. And they were doing it right in front of the mirror of God. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. Where you read this in Hebrew literature as well as the Old Testament, let me just say, God would send often outside leaders to discipline his people when they would walk away. And this leader was named was Shishak. He was a mighty conqueror of that time. And he came and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord. What? He went into the temple mount? Yes. He went into the house of God that Solomon built, put all that gold in there? Yes. And, and, and he walked in there and took it. And the treasures of the king, what, wait, the king's house? He went into Solomon's house that Rehoboam is now living in. He, he walked into Solomon's house and he took that too? Yeah, what did he take? Uh, a scripture says, I'll tell you what it took. He took away everything. He took away all the shields of gold that Solomon had made. Rehoboam's just going to stand there? Aren't there some things worth dying for, Rehoboam? You see, kings would often make trades. My life for what you want. And Shishak was ruthless. I want everything in that temple. Can you imagine the day Solomon was setting it all up? And now the day when it's being torn all down? I want everything in your dad's house. I want your dad's shields. And Rehoboam lets him take them because he'd rather live. But is this living? Look what happens next. And the king Rehoboam knew he had a problem, right? So he made in their place shields of bronze. No one will notice and committed them to the hands of the officers of the guard who kept the door of the king's house. And as often as the king went into the house of the Lord, the guard carried them and brought them back to the guard room. So he don't even leave them displayed anymore because then people might see that they're not the same. So he has the guards go get them. And when he goes in to worship God, get this picture, get this picture. When he goes in to stand before the God of the universe, he's standing beneath bronze shields that are a reflection of all the glory, honor, dominion, and power of his father's kingdom under God. And he's traded in his life gold for bronze. No, 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 Rehoboam. This wasn't just like, hey, just... Put up some bronze ones. What's the big deal? No, no, no. Hey, young guys out there, he's trading shacks for Jordans, right? He's trading, he's trading, he's trading fruity pebbles for fruity flakes. <laughs> you, that's the real thing. You can't fake the real thing. 
He's, he's walking through the Montgomery Mall now. It's not the same, is it? You go through malls. Have you ever seen them? You've got a local mall with your watching online. It's not the same. You can put up drywall saying something coming. It's not coming. We know. I'll date myself a little bit. I'm a little bit of a resident of this area. I remember Richland Mall. Now it's Ollie's. Nothing wrong with Ollie's. Good stuff cheap. But even inside of Ollie's, you can still see the glass in the ceiling from the Richland Mall where there was a, there was a huge, not huge, it was to me as a kid, but a water fountain underneath it. And I remember the Richland Mall. You want to know why? Because it had a footlocker. not what it was. Rehoboam's kingdom is not what it was. And Rehoboam, don't just miss this. That was big. That was a big deal. There's, there's this story of a collector. He went to a man's house who had all these, these, all these relics that he was just getting rid of for the most part, not understanding their worth, when something in that attic had endless worth and the owner didn't realize it. He was a Rehoboam, if you will. There was a Bible. And the guy said, I actually got rid of, told the collector, I, I got rid of one of these Bibles. I read this about this in the Daily Bread. I, I got rid of one of these Bibles. Um, I, I couldn't really understand it. It was like Guten or something. And the guy said, wait, what, what? Yeah, it's, it was like from Guten or something. The, the, the Gutenberg Express was, that, 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 that print, that was one of the most, if, that, if that's true, then you just threw out one of the first books ever to be printed. One just sold for over $2 million. Imagine if you had a book upstairs, young people, worth $2 million. If it was a Bible, it would really make you have a hard time, wouldn't it? The guy said, don't worry about this one, though. It wasn't worth anything, I'm sure. He goes, what are you talking about? As an original, you had one of the first printed books. How can you say it's not worth it? He said, ah, this guy, Martin Luther, had written all over it. <laughs> Do you know what it's like to have something where you don't get what you have? It causes some moments of reflection. God, is there anything in my life that I'm, I'm trading gold for bronze? Am I trading a gold marriage for a, a bronze marriage? Am I trading a, a gold work ethic for a bronze work ethic? A am I trading gold giving for bronze giving? Am I, am I trading gold relationships for bronze relationships? Am I, am I trading a life that you want me to have for a life that I think I want to have? Is there anything that I own that is extremely precious, but I'm treating it like it's not that precious? I mean, is there anything in my life that I'm barely spending any time in? Is there anything in my life that I'm maybe treating like it's not gold? If you can't see me right now, I'm holding the scripture. Is it possible that I have some things that are worth endless things? And, and anybody in here who's reflected all in their life knows that they have made the mistake of standing in front of the mirror of how I see myself far too long. And some of you are just entirely too hard on yourself and you're letting the devil win all the time. You failure, such a shame, disgrace. And this mirror is just full of so much condemnation. You're tired, you're exhausted from it. It's bronze living. Or maybe it's this mirror of, I wish I could be this, I wish I could be this, so I'll try harder, and I'll do this, and then maybe I'll measure up, and then if I just build this, or if I just have this, then I'll measure up. And this is exhausting. This is a tiring mirror. I mean, it breaches five steps to this, but it's exhausting. And then this mirror, oh, the mirror of how others see me. If we just post that picture of us smiling, if we just go into church and sit in a row, then people won't know. What's going on? And it's exhausting living a double life. There are people living and wasting and throwing away years of their life lying about things going on. When guess what? Nobody in here is lying to him. He sees everything. And it's as if he's standing there going, would you just come over here? 
and worship. Do you really think you're like, I wonder if he saw that? He sees everything. We're always, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go from your presence? And you say, well, that's scary because he knows all this stuff about me. I mean, what if he tells Chris, and Chris puts it on PowerPoint next week? There was a woman. She had been with multiple men. She clearly had shame because she would only go to the well in the midday when the other women didn't go. She'd go by herself because she didn't want to go with the rest of the ladies. And she went far away. She didn't shop at the local grocery store anymore. She might see some people who know her secrets. So she'd go far away. Sin was taking her farther than she wanted to go and it was costing her more than she wanted to pay and she was walking alone one day. I can imagine every time she went to that well and she looked over and saw her reflection, you know what she saw? Probably a failure. Do you know what she tried to do? She tried to make people happy, but nobody, everybody knows what's going on in her life and it's at that well that Jesus comes along and he says, I got to talk to you for a minute. It's an incredible story. Because aren't you so glad you're a believer in the New Testament? Aren't you so glad for Jesus coming along and changing everything? Solomon's kingdom was ripped from him. Rehoboam's kingdom was ripped from him. This woman at the well, she had reflections. But Jesus came to her. I love reading the story. It never gets old. You can see I got a few things in my Bible. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. Wait a minute. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. It was near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Wait a minute. This seems strategic. It's right by the field that Jacob gave Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said, how is it you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? A woman of Samaria, for the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, I have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than Jacob? He has given us a well to drink from himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And she said, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come down here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband to come. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right. And saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said to me is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. 
God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. She says, I've heard this. I, I, I've heard about this. And when he comes, he's going to make it all right. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. She's talking to the very one that is looking at her reflection, sees all her garbage, and offers himself to her. She runs and tells everyone. She runs and tells everyone. But there was something that caught my eye as I was reading it. It was a do you see what I see moment, if you will. Look at the text. But the hour is coming and is now here where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth and spirit. This is is a God that sees all of us. He sees our heart. That's the idea. The truth and authenticity that there will be worshipers who will not worship this mirror. They're not going to worship this mirror. They're not going to worship this mirror, and it's not going to be worship at a place. They're going to bow before God and go, here I am. I'm right before you. They're going to worship him in spirit and in truth and authenticity. And God is, look, look at this, looking. He's seeking people like that. Pastor John Adams reflecting on it said, it was so cool to look at God saying, seeking worshipers that are willing to stand in front of him authentically. Worshipers who want to trade their bronze living for gold living. And it's not a five steps. It's not a do this. It's a get in front of the Lord and say, God, I'm coming to you. You know all my garbage. I don't want to live this way anymore. This year, may we go from bronze to gold. From seeking my glory, my honor, my dominion, my power, to making our sole goal to seek his glory, his honor, his dominion, his power. How much less pressure is on you when you're out to seek his glory? How much less are you worried about people's opinions when you're seeking his honor, not your own? How much less are you worried about material things when you're not trying to build your dominion, trying to build his? How much less are you worried about power and respect when you know you are dependent on his? It's bronze for gold. And so here's what I did. I told you this came out of my devotional life. I want to leave you with some possible inspiration for you in the new year. Bronze for gold. I want to challenge you. Over the next year, er, no, none of you are going to do anything over the next year. Let's just try this week. How's that sound? Just this week. If we get through this week, we'll try another week. Let's just do one week. I know for me, I don't even know what I'm going to feel like in March. I don't even know if I'll be here in March. We don't know what's coming. We learned that in 2020. But this year, I want to trade bronze living for gold living. I don't want to sing this year, although I will sing. I want to worship. Singing is something I can do, but my lips can be far. My lips can say something, but my heart's far from them. I want to encourage you over the next week. What if you did for seven straight days, worship music? Young people, some of you are like, I don't even like worship music. Have you tried? Do you even know what maybe your top worship song is? that you enjoy? Just saying, give it a shot. Don't make it all legalistic. Give it a shot. Seven straight days. I'm going to listen to worship music. Some of you might set your ringer instead of beep, 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 start with a song. Don't pick a song you really love because then in the future, whenever you hear the song, you're going to think of alarms. Get an anthem for the week. Maybe select a playlist. Don't just sing worship. Worship is a good attitude, a great heart, and praise to the glory of God. Don't just read. Meditate. What? Meditate? Don't, don't, get, don't, don't get weirded out by the word. Scripture talks about meditation. It's about pondering things. For the next seven days, trade bronze just reading for meditating on Scripture. Let me encourage you. Memorize a verse this week. Oh, I knew, I knew you were going to say. Stay with me. Pick a verse. That's how this starts. 
Pick a verse. Read it for seven straight days, seven times a day, and you'll have it memorized. You don't have to try it all. Pick a verse, read it seven times throughout the day. So have it on your screensaver, whatever, for seven straight days, you will have a verse memorized and you will already have one verse memorized in one week, maybe more than some of us have done all last year. Don't just read the Bible here on Sunday mornings. Choose to meditate on it throughout the week. Pick a verse to memorize. Here's one. Trade, trade bronze, tithe them for, gold, for the gold of giving. Hey, tithing's great. Praise the Lord. Many of you do. But God loves a cheerful giver. And if you haven't learned the blessing of giving, I encourage you to think through generosity. Many of you have investment profiles. Do you have a generosity profile? Have you considered repetitive offering? Have you considered doing something remarkable? Could I encourage you to get a $25 gift card? Many of you bought them for Christmas. Have it in your car and ask the Lord to show you who needs it this week. It's a remarkable thing to do. It's so great to think about someone else and learn the power of not just giving, which praise God you do, but giving cheerfully. Instead of the bronze of hustle, choose the gold of denial. This world teaches hustle. Keep moving, keep trying, keep doing. Can I encourage you to try seven days of denial? Now, many of you are immediately thinking food. I'm gonna deny myself of food, and maybe you can. There is something called fasting. But we can fast from other things. What if you chose seven days of no unwise media? Lord, prompt me. If it's unwise media, I'm not going to do it for seven straight days. How about unnecessary spending? Seven straight days, no unnecessary spending. How about choosing solitude? God, I'm going to spend a half an hour without my phone with you. If that's way too long, try two minutes for seven straight days. Don't just hustle. Learn the power of denial. Hey, instead of the bronze of going out and witnessing, how about living a witness? Have you thought about your testimony? For seven straight days, we often got in this habit of going, well, I go witnessing. I want you to witness. For seven straight days, try, try doing something for your testimony. Let, let me try this. For seven straight days, make a commitment to not curse. Young people, you hear me? I don't care if you go to Christian school, homeschool, or public school. Try seven days of not cursing. Not just when mom and dad aren't around. Try seven days. At work, guys, you know how that impacts your testimony. You know how it does. And so does the enemy. Try it. Seven straight days. How about seven straight days of no complaining? For all the people in here going, yeah, you can tell him to stop cursing. How about no complaining? Seven straight days. Try it. How about no slander? How about I'm not going to lie this week? Seven straight days. How about convictions for relationships? The bronze of this is what I believe to the gold of relationships. Pick someone this week to encourage. Create a forgiveness list. Intercede for someone you know doesn't like you for seven straight days. Learn the power of the gold of encouragement living. And finally... Trade the bronze of concealing sin for the gold of confessing sin. It is no fun to live a life only for these mirrors because they're ruthless and they will turn on you the second they find stuff out. There is only one who sticks closer than a brother who knows all my junk and who loves me just the same. Why on earth would you spend that much time in front of those mirrors? When there's a mirror, who loves you so dearly. Lord, I'm sorry. I've made worship about me. 2022, it's all about you. It's all about you. Lord, I'm sorry for what I've made it, you might say, when it's all about you. Heavenly Father, may this year be a year where we trade bronze for gold. Inspire somebody in the house to want to make this year a year of not trying harder, but worshiping, building your kingdom, your glory, your honor, your name. And in doing so, we'll be freed from living for other people's opinions, 
for being beaten up by the mirror we hold in front of ourselves, condemning ourselves and repeating the words of the devil to ourselves. May this be a year not of us trying harder, but a year of us pursuing you. May we return to the heart of worship where it's all about you. Amen.